do I pray? Um, no. That's all. No, I do not pray. No. I do. I do. My family's never been going to church or anything like that, so I never got into that. I do pray, like, every day. I'm kind of religious, so it's like a everyday thing for me. I don't want to say it's not that I don't have time, but maybe it's something that I do. I meditate, but I don't necessarily actually do the physical act of kneeling and praying. I don't think you need to ask some existential being to answer your material questions and your own problems. I pray to my God and, and see if he answers or not. Uh, I don't, I don't believe, I don't believe in any God, sorry. And I think that if you do, it's just a kind of passing off the responsibility a little bit. Yes, but not in a devotional form. Um, I guess I just pray more in thought than in a sense of bowing down to something or someone. Um, I pray for anything I want. So I, I give God thanks and I uh, just ask for help sometimes. Uh, not really, I'm not anti-religious, but I don't pray. Um, I used to pray uh, more, probably when I was younger, because that uh, was something that I was used to doing with my father, you know, and that's what, I guess, the values that he taught me, you know, growing up. You guys are quiet today. Shh. You can clap or something. Hey, um... Before I go any further, if you are coming to pizza with a pastor, we just need you to stop at the information counter right outside the door and tell us so that we know how many pizzas to get. And again, I would love to see you there. It's a great chance for me to meet some new faces. Uh, I also want us to just stop and think, oh, Roots, you're dismissed. So if you're part of the junior high ministry, you can head on down to uh, Theater B right now. Um, but I also want to just take a moment and recognize um, John Jackson, Luke Trocchio that was playing the drums, John was playing the guitar, and Brian's up there in the booth. Uh, these guys have been taking off every Monday and heading to Royal Oak or downtown somewhere and doing those Man on the Street videos and then producing them. And um, It's been awesome. They really have done a great job. And uh, Anyway, it's been awesome, so let's just make sure we thank them. So we are in um, week five of a series that we're calling Foundation. And by now, the question we're asking out to kind of be right on the tip of your tongue, tongue but the question is, what's holding you up? What is that foundation that's keeping you standing when the storms come? So uh, in the book of Matthew, Jesus tells a, a parable about a wise and a foolish builder, right? And he says the, the foolish builder builds his house in the sand. The wise builder builds his house on a rock. When the storms come, the, the house stands. So, so what's your foundation? What he's talking about is having a foundation in Christ, right? Having a foundation in God. And the question we want you to just ponder, and it's a good question, is, is, is your foundation going to be strong enough when difficult seasons come, when the storms rage? What is your foundation? What's holding you up? And today we're going to look at prayer. And we're going to talk about how prayer is a, a critical component of having a solid foundation. A few years ago, the pastoral team and the directors, what we call the core team, went off on a, on a retreat for a few days. And we talked about all kinds of things at that retreat. But, but we began to ask the question at that retreat, like, what would it be like if we as a church were more committed to prayer? What would it be like if we were more intentional in prayer? We asked questions like, how can we as a staff be more focused on prayer? How can each one of us as individuals on this team who lead in the context of the church have more of an emphasis of prayer in our own life? 
how can we make prayer more integral to what we're doing? You see, we knew that if God was really going to move in a church that's 115 years old, that it was going to start with a movement of prayer, that he was calling us to something different, to something more, that he was saying, I, I want you to learn something about prayer. So that, that something started on the retreat that's kind of still being lived out in the church today. But what we did is we began to focus on one particular um, question, if you will, to God. So there's this point in chapter 11 of Luke where uh, the disciples have been watching Jesus' life closely, it says, and they've been paying attention. And, and then in Luke 11, 1, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So throughout that staff retreat and in the weeks ahead or that followed, in the months that followed, really in the year that followed, right up until last Thursday even when we were meeting as a court team, we've been asking that very question. We've been saying, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, as, a, as leaders of the church, teach us to pray. As a body of believers, teach us to pray. That's been our mantra. And as a matter of fact, I would encourage you to make that your prayer. Lord, teach me to pray. Because this thing we're going to talk about today, it's complicated. And the more you sink into it, the more complicated it, it feels like it becomes at times. But if you just lean back into that prayer and just say, Lord, teach me to pray, he'll answer that very prayer. But something began to, to change in the church back, back when we started praying that. We began to ask the question, what does it look like for us to have a culture of prayer? And I think the church is trending in that direction. And we began to press into this vision of being a, a culture of prayer. So we ask every ministry at Grace to uh, put together a prayer team to pray for the events that are coming and to pray for the people that are a part of, of their ministry. We've, we've encouraged every ministry director to do that. We've also uh, do something before each service. So at 8.30 in the morning, so a half hour before the 9 o'clock service, and at 10.30, a half hour before the 11 o'clock service, we gather in here and we pray. And the idea of that is to prepare you for worship, but also to pray, prepare grace for worship, to get the church ready for church and to get us ready for church is kind of what we've been saying. But it's a great thing. And, and so people show up here, and I want to encourage you to do that. If that would help you to kind of like bring the octane down a little bit and be ready for church, it's just a great way to get started. So a half hour before the service. And then the other thing we decided to do was ask everybody to set their alarms for 930 in the morning and pray for grace. So we have these banners on the side. I don't know if you saw them when you came in. Uh, they were up last beginning of the year, and people signed them as a commitment that they were willing to pray. And my encouragement to you is right now, if you haven't decided to do this, take out your phone, take out your watch, whatever you use as an alarm, and set your alarm. Literally, right now, set your alarm for daily at 9.30 a.m. I love it because when I'm with people from Grace, their alarms go off. I hear roosters crowing. I hear church bells going off. I hear somebody that likes his favorite J uh, David Crowder song all of a sudden he starts to play, and we all know. So I've even heard stories of people being in the grocery store and standing in line, and two people's alarm go off, and they decide, oh, are you from Grace? Oh, me too, and they have a conversation. So it doesn't matter. Did you know you can pray in a grocery store? You can. God can hear you from the grocery store. So you're in the grocery store. Your alarm goes off. You don't have to get on your knees. You don't have to make a scene. You just pray, and you pray that, that God would bless us, that he bless the church, that he would help the leadership to make good decisions, that, that he would just pour out his favor on us. And, and what I want you to do, so, so really, set your alarms. And if you do that, if you haven't signed the banner, there's, there's uh, markers on both sides. Just sign the banner. That's your way of making a commitment to us. I am going to pray at 930 every morning. And when you pray, I want you to visualize something. When you're praying, we are gathered together as a staff. We usually sing a worship song, and then we pray together. Big circle of people. And we're praying for you 
as you're praying for us. And it's just a beautiful thing. I think God is going to honor that coming together, that corporate prayer. So, so be a part of, of what we're doing 930 every morning. And we're convinced that this is part of, of really beseeching God to do more than we could ask, think, or imagine. So one thing's become perfectly clear to me. The, the more we, we think about prayer, the more we, we talk about prayer, the more we lean, lean into this idea, the more it feels like we have to learn. What I want to do with the time remaining is I just want to answer really one question. I guess it's two questions in one. But the question is, what is prayer and how do we pray? What and how do we pray? And what I want to do is pray before we get into that part of the service. So if you just bow your heads with me, Lord, I just pray that as I continue on with the sermon, that you would just uh, guide my thoughts, that you would guide my words. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach me to pray. Teach each one of us to pray. Help us to pray your kingdom come. Help us to pray for great things to happen in our, in our homes and in our workplace and in this church. Lord, teach us to be a church that when people walk in the door, they would know that there's something different here, that we are a praying church. Make it just part of our DNA, that we would have a culture of prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Guide my words in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question is, well, what is prayer? There's a great book. It's an old classic called With Christ in the School of Prayer. It's written by Andrew Murray. Um, I, would, I would encourage anybody that wants to, to learn more about prayer to get that book. Like I said, it's an old classic. But he says in, in his book that prayer is not a monologue, but a dialogue. God's voice in response to mine is the most essential part. For most people... Prayer is, is pretty intuitive. That most people, as a matter of fact, say that they pray. There's an organization called the Gallup Organization. I don't know if you know who they are, but they're a polling organization, non-Christian organization. Um, but they polled people in the United States, and they found that 90% of Americans say they pray regularly. That's pretty shocking to me. But what was even more shocking is it said that 75% of Americans say they pray daily. 75% of Americans pray daily. And they pray prayers like, Lord, help me pass this test, right? Or, Lord, help me to win the lottery, right? And sometimes the prayers are a little more honoring. Maybe it's, Lord, you know, protect my kids, keep them safe as they go out tonight trick-or-treating, whatever your prayers. We, people constantly are praying prayers. Sometimes they don't know even who they're praying to or, or what they're praying, but there's a sense of understanding prayer. And so people tend to be prayers. Seventy-five percent of people pray daily. Even atheists pray. There's a document that I found in my studies this week from the 50s, and it comes out of communist Russia. You know, communist Russia, where very much stated atheism and, and anything that smells of religion is bad. And they would even say religion is for the weak and the foolish. And this is a document. It says, this, it says, if you meet with difficulties in your work or doubt your abilities, think of Stalin, and you will find confidence in what you need. If you feel tired in an hour when you should not, think of Stalin, and your work will go well. If you seek a correct decision, think of Stalin, and you will find that decision. Does that sound like prayer to you? It sounds like prayer to me. They just have shifted. They're praying to someone or something else. So what I'm trying to get at is that prayer is sort of intuitive to us. It's this part of our human nature to, to pray. But what we need to understand as followers of Christ, as, as Christians, is to whom do we pray and how do we pray? Hopefully I'll answer some of those questions before we finish. But what I think is often missing in our prayers is the very thing that Andrew Murray is talking about, this 
two-way conversation, this dialogue with God or God's response to us. Prayer is, for many of us, just this talking to God, not an exchange with God. And while asking God for something or what we sometimes in the religious world call petitioning is an important part of, of prayer, it's actually, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to ask for things. It actually says you, you have not because you didn't ask. So there's this picture that God invites us to, to ask for things. So that's a part of prayer. But what I want you to hear is that's just one part of prayer. Worship is prayer, right? Expressing your understanding of who God is and all that God has done in your life is is prayer, or expressing the things that you're thankful for is prayer, or sitting in silence before God is also prayer. So simply put, what is prayer? Prayer is dialogue with God, not monologue, but dialogue. So what's interesting is, is like the journey that we're on as a church, my own experience with prayer is that the more I sink into prayer, the more I feel like I have to learn. I don't feel in any way like I'm an expert when it comes to prayer. I don't feel like I've got it all figured out. So I'm reading this week, and I read Martin Luther's words, and he says of prayer, when it comes to prayer, may the dear Lord grant you and everybody to do it better than me. Or if you watched the Alpha videos this week, and Nikki was talking more than once when, in reference to prayer, what did he say? He said, it, he said I'm, I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at it. And I share there my struggle with prayer and these quotes about prayers because if, if part of you feels like, I'm just not very good at this, I don't do well in prayer, you're in good company. Most of us feel that way. It's pretty common to feel like you struggle at prayer, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. So what I want you to do um, is grab your Bibles, and I want you to turn to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. It should be smack in the middle of your Bible almost, Psalm 46. And while you're turning there, I want to kind of share the story that was the, the incidents of history that brought about this psalm being written. And see, if you know the context of a psalm and you read the context of the psalm, a lot of times the psalm gets much more alive to you. You can, you can get a lot more out of the psalm if you know the reason it was written. But in this case, uh, Psalm 46 was written, and it was a season of time when Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. And these three great armies had amassed outside of Judah, and they were ready to invade Judah and take the land back for them. They were going to destroy the people of Judah. And the deal was that the Judah was small, and, and the people were outnumbered, and they were outgunned. I know they didn't actually have guns, but I could never think of a better way to say outgunned. So they were, they were just, they had no chance, basically. It was a small army against a mass of people. And Jehoshaphat, in, literally in desperation, calls on all the people of Judah to fast and pray. So if you want to read the whole story, it's in 2 Chronicles 20. But 2 Chronicles 24 says, Jehoshaphat called on the people to say, it says he called them to come together and seek help from the Lord. What does that mean, seek help from the Lord? They were going to pray. That's right. They were going to all get together and they were going to pray. And it said the people came from every town in Judah to seek God. And then if you read um, chapter 20, there's this beautiful prayer that Jehoshaphat prays, but, but he kind of concludes his prayer with these words. He says, For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. That is a powerful sentence and one we need to hold on to this morning. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. You ever feel like you don't know what to do? 
You ever feel like this situation is out of hand? I don't know what to do about it. I don't know how to, I don't know how to deal with what my body's doing. I don't know how to deal with what my family's doing. I don't know how to do it. This seems so out of hand. And here's a prayer for you. Lord, I, I don't know what to do. But my eyes are going to be on you. So God hears their prayers, right? And, and here's what happens. So while the army of Judah is, is, is getting all their battle gear on and they're getting ready to go to battle, they start marching out to the battlefield. But while they're en route to battle, these three armies turn on one another and they begin to battle each other. It says that the, the Bible says that they were thrown into confusion and they, they basically fight each other. And when the army of Judah shows up and they come up upon a hill and they look down in the battle, it actually says everyone is dead. Three armies, they kill everybody, right? So, so there's no one left alive. And it says all that the army of Judah had to do was to walk down into the mess and plunder all of the good stuff that came from it. They never even had to fight. It's this amazing story of victory where they never even had to lift a bow or throw a spear. The armies destroyed one another, right? So God answered their prayers. And it's in the wake of that that they write Psalm 46. So imagine you're the psalmist. And King Jehoshaphat comes to you and he says, I want you to write a song about what God just did. And I want you to write a song for all the people to sing. Why do we sing the song? Because it'll help you to remember what God did. So, so this is the song, the psalm that was written in response to that amazing event. So Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, a holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. I just want to read that one more time. He lifts his voice and the earth melts verse 7 the lord almighty is with us the god of jacob is our fortress come and see what the lord has done the desolation he has brought on the earth he makes war cease to the ends of the earth he breaks the bow he shatters the spear he burns the shield with fire verse 10 he says be still and know that i am god I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Yeah, hallelujah. Doesn't the psalm have more like life in it when you know the circumstance and you picture the people after they watch this, this amazing act of God on their behalf and then they write this psalm? To me, it just it gets so much more life when I read it. But, you know, what I'd love to do is spend the next couple hours talking about Second uh, Chronicles 20 and talking about this psalm because there's just so much that we could pull out of it. But what I want to do is just point out just one thing. The highlight or the pinnacle of the psalm is verse 10. The psalmist gets to that. This is the crescendo of the psalm. He says, be still and know that I am God. So here's the deal. The Latin word for the, the, the word be still is the word vacate. It's the word we get vacation from. So you could say, take a vacation or stop or cease doing something. But the question we got to ask is, what are we supposed to stop doing? What are we supposed to cease from doing? What are we supposed to take a vacation from? The answer is, you need to stop trying to be God. 
You need to stop doing things in your own power. You need to stop scurrying around and trying to make things happen on your own. You need to take a vacation from being God because when you take a vacation from being God, then you are going to allow yourself to see me be God. That's what the passage is saying, be still. The Hebrew word for be still could be translated abandon, cease, fail, leave, let it go. Prayer is the place where we stop doing and we start trusting. You get it? Prayer is dialogue with God for sure. And, but in addition to just dialoguing with God, prayer is the place where we discover who God is. That's the invitation that God gives us in prayer. That's the, the beauty of what God is inviting us to. So I've said this a lot over the last few months, but God's movement in our lives always starts with an invitation. God is inviting you to pray. And he's saying, when you learn to pray, when you become more dependent on prayer, then you're going to find out who I am. You're going to discover who God is. Prayer is that place where we discover who God is. I don't want to move too fast from this point. Let me ask you, where are you fighting a battle? What is it that keeps you up at night? Where do you feel overwhelmed in life circumstances? What if you were to cease doing? What if you were to take a vacation? Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? What if you were just to turn to prayer? So when we all went to that war movie together, I don't know how, if everybody's seen it, but most of you probably has because we had such a big crowd there. Yeah, hey, clap for the war movie. Yeah, for sure. But my favorite part of the war movie, and the thing that stuck with me the most, is when that older woman, the, the mentor, was talking to the younger woman, and she said, you're fighting the wrong battle. She said, look, you can go to war with your husband if you want to, but he's not the enemy. The enemy is the devil, and prayer is that place where you're going to fight the right enemy. There's a picture of this being still picture that, that comes out of that. It's a, it's a beautiful picture to me. Karl Barth, great theologian, uh, said to clasp your hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against disorder in the world. Do you have some disorder in your world? To clasp your hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against that disorder. But here's the problem. We hear the words be still, and in our minds we probably think of just quiet meditation. And that might be what being still is for you. And that might be exactly what God is ordering for you. But, but there's a lot more going on in the psalm than just sitting quietly on a rock waiting to hear from God. That's not what Jehoshaphat did. That's not what the people of Judah did. They fasted and they prayed. They cried out to God. But you know what they didn't do? They didn't jump to battle. They didn't take matters into their own hands. They went to God first. They prayed. So being still, taking a vacation from being God, may involve you crying out to God, asking of God, praying to God, requesting of God, petitioning of God. I went through a season of time where I was working with a group of uh, people and um, I desperately wanted them to think like me. Have you ever been there? Um, and so uh, we had a lot of meetings and there was a lot of tension in those meetings. Um, actually, some of the meetings were really hurtful and I, was, I just was dogged determined to change their minds. I was going to change their minds. I was going to debate them into it. I was going to convince them. I was going to cajole them. I was going to slap them with the Bible if I had to. Whatever it took, they were going to think like I thought, right? 
And so I'm praying about this in deep frustration and loss of sleep. I'm, I'm praying, and, and I hear God say to me, and I don't know if God really says this, but I'm pretty sure it's what he said. He said, shut up. Now, I know that's not very nice, so if that's hard for you, maybe he said, be quiet, and I just read it through my filter. But what he was telling me is to stop talking. He just said, stop. He said, stop defending yourself. He said, I got this. All you need to do is just trust me. It was not easy for me. I'm, I'm a man of words. But an amazing thing started to happen as I spent more time with these, these individuals. We began to have more unity in our meetings. We began to have better conversations. We began to understand each other more. And eventually we came to an agreement. But it wasn't because I convinced them. I was supposed to stop trying to do what God was supposed to do all along. I had to stop being God so that I could see God. I was just thinking while we were doing worship of uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember that story in the furnace? You know what they say to Nebuchadnezzar? They say, we don't need to defend ourselves. God's going to defend us. And even if we die in the furnace, we still don't need to defend ourselves because God is God. And so whoever you think you are, so this, this, this need to let go of your defense is such a powerful thing. It's a way we can be still and see God show up and fight for us. There's application for this at home. There's application for this in your workplace. There's application for this in your friendships. Be still and let God show up. We discover who God is when we earnestly dialogue with him. That's the invitation, to know God, to know who he is. And that includes when we cry out to him with our greatest need and we allow him to fight for us. But we also discover God just in the midst of conversation. The great news of the scriptures is it says that we have access to the living God. You get that, right? Like, you talk about a principle that we take for granted. We have access to the living God. The God of the universe that created everything we see gives us direct access to him. Ephesians 2.18 says, Through him, talking about Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Jesus came to make a path for us to approach God himself. And this knowing is done through the Holy Spirit. Because we have access to God, we have this opportunity to experience the presence of the living God in our daily lives. Now, did you get that? We have the opportunity to experience the presence of God in our daily lives. There's a great book written by uh, Yancey. Uh, the name of the book is just Prayer, Philip Yancey. And uh, he said these words. He said, we don't pray to make God's presence happen. Make no mistakes. God is present. God is here. God is present. He's all around you. We pray as a response to that truth. We pray to make our awareness of his presence known to us. The more I sink into the discipline of prayer, the more you sink into the discipline of prayer, the more you are going to experience the presence of God. In fact, that's what you were made for. That's what you were created for. That's the purpose of life, is to live life in the presence of the living God. There's a, a young lady who was part of um, Hitler's uh, ugliness, and she was taken to Auschwitz. We all know the, the hell that is Auschwitz, right? And, and she kept a diary, just a young girl, and she kept a diary, and, and in her diary, she writes about what she calls uninterrupted dialogue. 
And so this is directly from it, uninterrupted dialogue with God. She says, sometimes when I stand in some corner of the camp, my feet planted on your earth, my eyes raised towards heaven, tears sometimes run down my face, tears of deep emotion and gratitude. You've got to visualize the horror that she's living in, right? The, just how awful it must have been. And she continues to write, And when I want to, where I want to be right in the thick of what people call horror and still be able to say life is beautiful. Yeah, I lie here in a corner, parched and dizzy, feverish, unable to do a thing, yet I am also with the jasmine and the peace of sky beyond my window. She concludes in her journal that for once you have begun to walk with God, you need only to keep walking with God, and all of life becomes one long stroll, a marvelous feeling. Think about the context of where that was written. When I read the words of this young girl, it humbles me. It reminds me of how little I have suffered and how much I complain. I'm reminded of the truth that knowing God's presence is the prize worth fighting for. Knowing the presence of God trumps all of your life circumstances. Knowing the presence of God in your life trumps all of life's circumstances. Prayer is the place where we begin to know who God is and experience the presence of God in our lives. The main purpose of prayer is to know God, not to make miracles happen. We believe in miracles here. We prayed for healing after the first service for, for some of the people that came down. We believe that God is going to heal people of physical ailments. We believe that God is going to heal marriages. We believe that God is going to move in powerful ways. But that is not the end goal. The end goal is to know God. The benefit of knowing God, the benefit of our prayers, that God still does miracles. And we get to celebrate what God is doing. But the, the purpose is to know God. Dialogue with God is that place where we build relationship. And if you think about it, it makes sense because silence is the death of a relationship. You want to know how to kill your marriage? Stop talking to one another. Stop opening your hearts to one another. Stop telling each other what you like and what you dislike. Just stop talking and your relationship will evaporate. So here's what happens in silence. In the, in the midst of silence, we tell ourselves a story. We, we, we write a narrative that seems to fit to what we think is going on. And, and that narrative becomes our own little thing in our mind. And then the other person that's not talking has their narratives. And the two narratives collide with one another. The two stories don't, don't, don't work together. Conversation and dialogue is the place where you get on the same page. Where two people bring their narratives together to make one story. But they got to talk. They got to have conversation for that to happen. Prayer is where we get on the same page with God. Prayer is where our story, our narrative, is joined with the amazing narrative that God is writing. It's where our narratives come together and we get on the same page. Meg and I were given some advice a long time ago. We went to counseling, um, and we were sitting, and the counselor gave us this advice. And if you've ever met with us as a couple, then you've heard this advice. If you came to talk to us about your marriage, we always say, if you want to have a strong marriage, you've got to commit to two things. If you want us to continue to work with us, you've got to commit to both these things. And the first thing is, you've got to pray together every night. No, it won't be easy. Just pray together. Don't worry about performance. Just pray. Even if it's awkward, pray together every night. It will change your marriage. I guarantee it. And the second thing is, you have to go on a date once a week. You need to have a date night, and you need to hold to a date night. You need to be absolutely committed to a date night once a week. 
And then we say, when you go on your date night, there's some ground rules. You can't talk about your kids, you can't talk about money, and you can't talk about work. And you know what everybody says? What are we going to talk about? Every time, you can take it to the bank. Every time, they say, but what does that leave? Isn't that funny? It leaves everything else. Talk about your dreams, talk about your fears, talk about your desires, talk about your passions. Talk about how your week was. There's a novel idea. Talk about what you're looking forward to next week. Talk about what you've been reading. Talk about what you've been listening to, what kind of music you're listening to these days. Actually ask each other, how you doing? How are you? And mean it. And then listen to one another. Something happens in that dialogue because dialogue builds relationships. If it builds relationship in a marriage, the same is true in our prayers. Our prayers are dialogue with God, and it's where our relationship with God is, is fostered and built, and, and our narratives come together. Now, sometimes we limit our prayers to just the stuff that we need, right? So I don't want my kids only coming to me when they need something. Sometimes it does feel a little bit that way, but, but I want more than that from them. But, but here's the truth. It's okay that they come to me with their needs. As a matter of fact, I want them to come to me with their needs. I just don't want them only to come to me with their needs. The Bible encourages you to pray for what you need. You have not because you, you want to. So, so pray your needs, but, but it goes way beyond just praying for stuff. One of the things I read this week that really um, captured my imagination, if you will, and got me thinking a lot is it said that prayer brings together the invisible and the visible. There is a world out there that's beyond our sight. There's a world out there that's beyond our understanding. But here's what you need to know. When you pray, the heavens are changed. Something shifts in the supernatural when you pray. If you, want, if you don't believe me, just go back and read the scriptures over and over. When people prayed, something changed. Something was moved in the invisible, and it affected the visible. Prayer is that place where the invisible and the visible come together. And I think this is hard to get, so what I want to do is just give you a couple of examples of how this happens. So what did Jesus say to us? He said that you are to pray for your enemies. Pray for the people that persecute you. Not an easy thing to do. But here's what the deal is. See, as you pray for your enemies, God softens your heart towards them. God actually gives you a different disposition towards them. Something changes inside of you. Something physically changes in the way you respond to your enemies. But something also shifts in the, in the outer world. And you'll find as you pray earnestly for your enemies that they begin to treat you less rough, I guess you could say, or, or they t- tend to, to persecute you less. There's something that shifts in them. There's something that shifts in the cosmos that allows all that to happen. If you want to have less enemies, pray for them. Praying for your enemies is a great way to just have less enemies. When you pray, God, God's kingdom come. God, would you just bring your kingdom? And, and here, you know what happens is God actually hears that prayer and he moves more in the, in the world. So you want to know how to pray for grace? Pray that all the time. God, at grace, would you just bring your kingdom to grace? Would you just continue to move at grace? That's a great thing. And you know what will happen is God will answer that. Something shifts in the heavenly. And then God's going to tell you, oh, and by the way, here's what you're supposed to do at grace to help bring about the kingdom. He's not going to allow you to just sit there and just pray it. He's going to tell you what your gifting is and why, how he made you to have an impact. And all of a sudden, something changes in you while something's changing at grace. The physical, the, the visible, and the invisible come together. The scriptures say, pray for forgiveness. 
Why do we pray for forgiveness of sins? Especially if Jesus already washed away our sins and we're saved, why do we have to pray? Because when you sin against God, even though you're saved, and you go back to God and you say, God, I know that's not what you have for me. I know I shouldn't have looked at that. I know I shouldn't have done that. That something shifts in you, that, that contrition, that, that, that saying you're sorry, that asking for forgiveness of sin actually shifts something for you, and it helps you to know how God feels about sin. But the scriptures also tell us that when we pray for forgiveness, that God pours out his grace and favor on us. So something's happening in the heavenlies. Something's happening in you. So here's the deal. Think about this even in the form of, of two people that have a relationship. If I sin against you, if I do something that's, that's offensive to you and I do it purposely or even if I do it unpurposely, if I have to go to you and I have to say, when I did that, I was wrong and I'm sorry, will you forgive me? The next time that I have this propensity toward that, I'm going to be far less likely to do it because I've had to live through that humbling of myself and saying, I'm sorry. So this, this idea of forgiving one another and going to God with forgiveness is because it shifts something in us and it shifts something in the heavenlies. Last example. You begin to pray for work. Pray about your workplace. And you know what you're going to see? You're going to see God open your eyes to why you're there. And it's going to have little, very little to do with a paycheck. It's going to have very little to do with making ends meet. He's going to say, no, this is where I've called you to have an impact. You start to pray for work, and all of a sudden you're at the water cooler. Somebody's going to come up to you, and they're going to say, I don't know what the deal is, but, man, I, just, I think I need God or something. And you're like, oh, I get it. You want me to talk to him about God? That's how obvious it's going to be because you've been praying for your coworkers. And all of a sudden, they're just going to open the door wide open and say, man, I don't know what the deal is, but I've been praying a lot lately. Really? Who do you pray to? Really? How is prayer affecting you? You're going to have conversations that are spiritual. So you pray for work, and God shifts you and how you see work, but then he shifts your workplace, and all of a sudden, you're having these great conversations about God and Jesus in the workplace. Prayer is the place where our hearts are set ablaze justice and peace and love of others. Prayer is where that shift takes place in our spirit. The Bible also tells us that prayer is a purveyor of peace. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We are commanded to pray in every situation with hearts of gratitude, and it says the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. How many of you need more peace? Think about the young girl in Auschwitz. She's in a Nazi prison camp celebrating the presence and the peace of God in her life. How much more of a vivid picture do we need than the presence of God getting us through anything that's difficult? So this would be a great place to stop. This would make a nice, comfortable sermon on prayer. But we have a phrase around here. We say we want to be a church without curtains. If you're sort of new to grace, uh, let me tell you what that means. It means we want to be honest. We don't want to put on uh, religious platitudes. We don't want to paint on a religious face to fool one another. We want to be honest. One of the sayings that sticks with me is, I want to be a Christian, but I want to be honest. I want to be able to tell people when I'm struggling if I'm struggling. I don't want to have to fake it. And I'm sorry, but I think church has been a place where we've learned, in many cases, to fake it. But we're not going to be that kind of a church. So, as a, amen. So here's my confession to you. 
uh, as your leader. Uh, prayer is hard. And I struggle to pray like I should. And um, sometimes I just feel like I do it wrong. I wonder, you know, why my prayers aren't more effective. I wrestle with God and, and, and why he doesn't do more when I pray. I know prayers are better than they used to be, but I still struggle. When I sit down to pray, I feel like sometimes I spend more time trying to get myself to pray when I'm sitting to pray than I'm actually praying. Like, stop thinking about that. Okay, why am I thinking about that? Okay, I sat here to pray, and now I'm thinking about all these circumstances in my life, and I'm thinking about those things. Okay, stop thinking about those things because you need to be praying. And then I start praying, and then next thing you know, I'm thinking about this relationship going on, and I'm like, okay, stop thinking about that. You need to be praying. And an hour can go by, and I've maybe prayed for a minute, but I've thought about praying for an hour. I've, like, tried to convince myself how to pray. And you know what I feel like? I feel like God's saying, that's cool. It's okay. I'm your dad. I got this. Just keep coming. Just keep trying. Just keep praying. It'll get better. Don't worry about it. I know you're distracted, but thanks for sitting and trying. God's a good, good father. He's not going to scold us because we didn't pray right. The thing that haunts me as a shepherd and as a pastor at Grace is unanswered prayer. It breaks my heart, actually. And I don't know why God doesn't answer prayer. I have a good friend who's wandered away from the faith and abandoned his family. I pray for him every day, yet he still wanders. He's bringing desolation to his family, and it breaks my heart. I have two very dear friends who are chronically ill. They are continually in pain, and, and literally hundreds of people have prayed for them. Thousands of prayers have been lifted to the heavens, godly prayers, yet they're still sick, and I don't understand, and I don't like it, and I question God's wisdom. God, why? Why do you let these godly people still suffer? I, I don't know the answer to that, but I just want to be real with you. That's part of the struggle of prayer. But here's what I'm learning. That God's presence is worth far more than a healing. I believe we're going to see healings. I believe we're going to see God move in powerful ways. But what I really believe is that we need to strive to experience. We need to grasp experiencing the presence of God. Jesus said to us, he said, in this life, you're going to have troubles. He said, in this world, you'll have troubles, but take heart. I've overcome the world. This is not the final chapter. We need to remember that we have very limited understanding, that God is God, and we don't know all that's going on in the heavenly realms. We don't know what's going on with God, and sometimes if we try to put God into our understanding, it creates problems with us, but we need to trust God is good, God is is love. God cares more deeply for my friends who are sick than I do. But I continue to pray for them. I think prayer is the place where we actually wrestle with God. And what I've also come to learn is that God likes it when we wrestle. I raised three boys, and I loved wrestling with my boys. You know, I could stop it anytime I wanted to, especially when they were small. I don't know if I could now. Uh, but when they were little and we wrestled, we don't wrestle anymore, so I don't know. But when they were little and we wrestled, I loved it. You know why? Because it was intimate. 
There was something that was going on in that physical exchange of being with my boys and wrestling with my boys. It was a physical exchange and an emotional exchange, and I loved it. And I think that's what happens in prayer. When we wrestle with God, it's an exchange. There's an intimacy that comes when we wrestle with God. And you know what wrestling with God is? It's coming to him and saying, why is this happening? I don't like this. Why do I feel the way I feel? Why do you seem to be blessing people that it doesn't seem like you should be blessing? You know what? All those words are found in the Psalms. That it's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay to be honest with God. It's what he desires from us. So I want to kind of close by just giving you some practical tips to praying. Um, I know praying for some of you is a pretty new thing. And you're thinking, I don't know how to even get started. So this is kind of your how to get started praying list. The first thing is, um, if at all possible, and for I think all of us this is possible, but I'm just trying to be gracious here. If at all possible, set aside a time and a place during your day for intentional prayer. Could be a half hour earlier. You get up in the morning, you sit in the same place. It's good to have a place. People I know that really uh, find more um, freedom in prayer actually have a, a prayer closet, like in the in the movie, or maybe it's just a prayer chair. There's a lot of people that just, this is my chair. This is where I go, where I sit. It doesn't have to be a place, but I'm just encouraging you to try this. A, a time and a place every day where you pray. Typically better in the morning, partly because when you do it at night, sometimes you can't even stay awake. <laughs> you get home, you sit, and, and that's okay too. If you're praying and you fall asleep, it's a good place to fall asleep in the arms of your heavenly Father. But a time and a place is a good way to start. Um, pray about anything. Pray about everything. Pray throughout your day. Invite God into everything that you're doing. Invite God into every decision that you make. God, we're thinking about buying a car. Is that okay? You'll be surprised. He might answer you. He might answer you no, and then you've got to deal with that too. But he might say, it's great. I've blessed you with the ability to have this car. Buy it. But invite God into every decision. I love the, the picture of walking into a board meeting and, and just saying, God, I'm about to walk into this board meeting. Would you just help me to see you at work? Would you just help me to be calm and, and understanding? Help me to see what you're doing in this room beyond just the meeting. And all of a sudden, the boardroom is going to take on a whole other meeting because you know what just happened? The invisible and the invisible were brought together in the form of a board meeting. Pray about everything. Pray throughout your day. Pray your emotions back to God, no matter what they are. God can take it. Mad, sad, angry, scared. Doesn't matter. You can pray all of them back to God. Here's the beauty. We live in a Google age. You want to know, you pray scriptures, and you want to know how to find the scriptures. Even if you don't know the Bible at all, just Google Bible passages on fear. And you'll have passages that you can just pray back to God. Bible passages on healing. And you'll have passages that you can pray back to God. You can find the scriptures in any arena. But pray scriptures back. If you're kind of stuck, you can always find scriptures to pray. And another thing to do is just to pray through the Psalms. You've got 150 Psalms that cover every range of emotion. Just pick a Psalm and make it your prayer. Make it personal. I encourage you to pray for people in your life by name. And pray specific prayers for them. Not just bless them, bless them, bless them, bless them. That's a good prayer. But know their lives enough to pray specifically. If they're dealing with a health issue, pray for healing in that particular area. If you know they're, they're going through a difficult season at work, pray for their workplace. But pray specifically. I encourage you to use lists. And last, build time in your prayer life to listen. Turn it off once in a while and just ask the Lord to speak. You'll be surprised. He'll speak. Some of you will see a vision 
You'll just see a picture of something going on and you'll know it's from God. Some of you will hear a word. Some of you will hear a phrase from God. God might even say, stop talking, which is what he said to me. I want to end with this. I want to end kind of where we started. There is an invitation for us to know God more. He says, be still. Stop scurrying. Stop doing. Stop trying to solve everything. Stop trying to be your own God. Stop being God and allow me to be God. Be still and know that I am God. Lord, I just pray for us as a church. Once again, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to have a culture of prayer. Teach us to be people of prayer. Teach us how to, how to use prayer to change our workplace, to change our community, to change our marriages, to change our relationships with our kids. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, I'm so grateful for the invitation to know you and experience you more. I pray that that would be each one of our experience. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who made the way, who made the path for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.